Isaiah 29, verse 13. It said, wherefore, because of this blindness, because of the state that these people are in, the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, they have removed their heart far from me and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. Now, this is coming off the back of him saying that they can't read. They can't understand. The word is cut off to them. The prophets don't have any vision. The word of the Lord is not going forth. But yet it's still they're doing something in honoring of God. Like where they getting this from? If God ain't speaking, who is motivating and pushing the people? If the book is not being understand, what is informing their worship? That's the question that you have to answer. And he said, because the book is not being explained, because the people don't understand, this is why they're worshiping me, but their heart is not with me. We just got activity. And this is why you can have a church mother who can be a mother and, and tell you how much she loved the Lord and get up and shout and do a two-step but be as mean as a snake. That should not be. This is why you can meet preachers who can tell you they finna disciple the young man and they take you in the back. And they got you back there talking all type of foolishness. Plotting and planning about going out to Hooters or Twin Peaks after we get done preaching. And this is where they bring in my young single brothers who they discipling in the name of Jesus and they don't see nothing wrong with it. This is why our traveling ministers don't take their wives but they take their songstress. It ain't because they like the song. It's because some other stuff be going on. And we as the people of God sit here and we let this foolishness go on. A man can openly confess to adultery, divorce his wife, and still have the biggest church in this city. Like, hold up. And it get even deep. This brother make a lot of money. God, what he do? What he divorce his wife, commit adultery, confess it to everybody, no repentance, then he write a book on marriage. And we buy it. <laughs> so that's the man of God. Come on, that, 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 that brother is blessed. He is an unrepentant adulterer. Who the only explanation he give to you because of his adultery is that we all sinners. I'm saying we all sinners. And this is the time when you're supposed to hold me up. I held you up in your foolishness. Now you hold me up. Hold up, bro. In vain. We're doing activity. God ain't in this stuff. God ain't in our two-step. He ain't in the baseline. Because he, just think about this for a minute. I thought about this deep revelation, see. See, I look how I knew I wasn't supposed to be in church. Man, I was a young man. Early got saved. In the, in the, in the, in the church, in the atmosphere, it was deep in that brother. Brother was in it. In the worship. Getting it in. And then there's this little tune that used to be the, the turn up tune where everybody worshiped God and the presence of God in there. And it's amazing. The presence of God always came when this song came on. <laughs> I'm talking about God was on time. It was God's song. And the little talk call hit. It said, and everybody, yeah. One of these times, I'm going to say it with the devil. I ain't going to put this on God. Distracted me. And the thought came to my head. And I thought way back to 1992 
When I was a little boy in Gills Village, over my grandma's house, they had a party for the little kids. And, and, and in these atmospheres, they have a little party for the kids, but there's always a grown folk cooler. I don't know why you got to have a whole cooler full of beer at a kid party. But it was there. And that because as the lights fall out, the kid party turned into the grown folk party. And at a certain time, they switched, you know what I'm saying? And then while the kids were there, they were, don't stop, get it, get it. Let me see you do do brown. And we dance and we run around and doing our thing. <laughs> but then the lights go down and this amazing thing happened. It was the anointing was, it was at Gill Village on the back porch in the midst of all the, the, the Michelob and Budweiser. Because there's this man and he said, and everybody said, ah, hands go up, everybody waving. And I was in church and I saw this same scene. I'm like, hold up, this is the same thing. That the strumming of the guitar and the riffing of the piano got the same effect on the people. Because when the air green, boom, 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 some of y'all say for even to this day, how to catch your leg and be like, <laughs> woo, 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 how the hell, how to tell you now. <laughs> because it had that effect on you. But we connect that to anointing. That's why people doctrine messed up. And, and you have people that will tell you, man, Whitney Houston was anointed. It took me a minute to understand. Like, what they mean she was anointed? I got it. She can sing good. That's what they mean by anointed. And so in their definition, Al Green was anointed. When Teddy P told you to turn off the lights, that was anointed. Because it had that same effect on the people. And it shows you what we're doing. We're attaching emotion. We're attaching movements. And we ain't checking the heart behind it. The only thing that separates the movement and the motion is the heart reality behind it. And if my heart is not attached, engaged in honoring God, I ain't doing nothing no different than them folks on the back porch with their Budweiser when I raise my hand to the worship music. It's just emotional response. It's just that activity. But we have been trained and we have been taught that that's his work. That, that's worship. Like when the music is slow and the lights are dim, that's worship. And so we got them activities without any heart. But what, check the rest of what Jesus said. Huh? I mean, what Isaiah said in 13, 29, 13. It says, Wherefore, as the Lord said, for as much as these people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart from me and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. I check it, read that again. Saying their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. Now, when Jesus quote this thing, the word fear don't come up. He said commandments and he said worship. It's because in the mind of Jesus, when he translate this verse, when he quotes it, the two things are connected. You cannot have fear. I mean, you cannot have worship without fear. So the worship of God in the New Testament said is taught by the commandments of man. But the original quotation said the fear of God is taught by the commandments of man. Because they're one and the same. 
in the way that we get out of this rut, in the way that we get out of this this, this move of, of just religious activity is allow the fear of God to be formed in us, but not just formed, but instructed by the true word of God. And that we fear God more than we fear the traditions of men. And we allow God to move and do what it is that God do and not worry about these traditions. And we question tradition. We go beyond tradition. And we take this time to let God be God in our hearts. Because we have so much worship that is informed by the tradition of men that we end up getting into the next half of the birth. Go back to Mark. I said, man, y'all. Mark chapter 7. Now watch how Jesus, Jesus flipped this thing. Jesus was a shrewd teacher. Mark 7 verse 9 says, and he said unto them, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own traditions. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth the father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corbin, that is to say a gift. By whatsoever thou mayest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things you do. Now, this is very deep. Now, so he take his statement. So Jesus' accusation against these people is, y'all worship God, but y'all doing it fake. It ain't real. Your heart ain't in it. You just going through motion. And he gives them an example of why it is he say what he says. So he showed you why. So y'all won't talk theology. Let's talk theology. Moses gave you a commandment to honor your father and your mother. Now, let's put ourselves back in that time. The traditional understanding of honor your father and your mother is reverence or respect your father and your mother. You don't talk back to them. You don't mistreat them. And you do what they say. So if I don't talk back to my mama, I'm honoring her. If when she asked me to do something, I do it. I'm honoring her. That was, that was the basic understanding. And most of us take that same thing. That's why we can say, man, I ain't never been disrespectful to my mama, but we don't count all the time. We mumbled on our breath after she told us to do something. We don't count all that. Because we take the Pharisees' understanding of honor your father and your mother. Long you ain't cussing out of going off on, you honoring. But Jesus amped this thing up and he connect money to honoring your father and your mother. Like, hold up, Jesus. Moses ain't talking nothing about no money. Because he said, you got a tradition that makes you disobey this command and here's my proof. Now, Moses told you to honor. But you say, if I say Corbin, Corbin meaning this is a gift. Uh, this is a dedicated thing. That means, like, you give an example. Let me make, make sure we track it. Is this something we can understand? I have to go back to it. This is, we deal with church. So tithes. Let's just say you got some deep people who pay their tithes. And let's say your mama needs something and all the extra money you got is your tithe money. Do you pay your tithes or do you help your mama? Like which one do you do? And for a lot of people, that's a real dilemma. Why is that a real dilemma? Because we have been trained that if you don't pay tithes, you're robbing God. 
So do I mistreat God or do I mistreat my mama is the dilemma. That's, that's what they set up for us. And this is a similar type of thing that they had that they set up. So if you got money and your mama in need, all you have to do is say, this is a gift. This is a dedicated thing. Your mama and them can't come at you and say you did them wrong. You are free under the law of Moses if you say this is a gift. That's the rules that they set up. So anytime you didn't want to take care of your mama, you said, dedicated thing, Corbin. Mama, I can't help you now. This is a gift. And that's what they were doing. So people were failing to take care of their parents just by saying, Corbin, this is a dedicated thing. I can't help you. Just like now, we got people who struggle to take care of their neighbor. If all I got is my time, money, because we got a tradition that told us, you don't pay time, you rob God. And that's the example that he was giving to them. So we're saying that this is an example of you failing to obey God because you obeying a tradition. See, man, I, I, I was going to not say this, but it always comes to my mind every time I think about the scripture. It's your fault. Everything's your fault. Now, we have a tradition. If most of you went to church like me, we have a tradition. Sowing and reaping. You give and you get back. Saying, if you want to be blessed, you got to do what? Bless somebody. Now that thing get a little twisted. Because what type of ground are you supposed to sow on? Good ground. What does it mean to sow into good ground? Church has taught us sowing into good ground means you giving into those who got what it is you're trying to get. So if I'm a businessman and I want to be a successful businessman, I find a successful businessman and I sow into him. That's that's what we were taught in church. Anybody else? I'm the only one that learned that. Anybody else ever learned that? You give to the man of God, he blessed, because if you give to him, then you're going to get blessed. Now, it don't matter that the man of God driving a Bentley and got on $600 shoes. <laughs> well, I barely got enough money to get my 30-day bus pass. <laughs> I'm standing out there in the heat at the mats. Preacher, any bit, they ride up to me. Hey, run God, I ain't see you at church, son. I'm gonna need to see you. Said, <laughs> boy, the bus don't run on son. <laughs> but that's the tradition that we got. Now, it's an amazing thing. The Bible tells us that he that lends to the rich shall surely come to want. That's Proverbs. If you give your money to the rich people, you're going to become a poor person. But church has trained me. If I want to be rich, I give my money to the rich people. So that proverb is of none effect in my life because the tradition that I was raised under has taught me otherwise. And now you have people who still waiting for the breakthrough of the manifestation of the fruition of all the fullness that can come. And don't realize that you're working against the manifestation of the breakthrough of the fullness of the fruition that will come because you're doing the thing that God said going to break you, make you broke. So you got people sending their money. We loading them down because they're going to be blessed. 
if you bless them, we're going to be blessed because that's the blessed man of God. But God told you, if you get to the rich, what's going to happen to you? You shall surely come to want. But yet and still we hold on and we persist in these activities of worship thinking that the blessing is coming. My day is coming. My new season going to be here. This is a new season. This is a new day. This is a new year. And we, like I said, and people learn the craziest stuff. And you got people going to the church. They can tell you, see, 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 this is the time for the, for the, see, the, the new year for the Hebrews. This is year 5776. And see, if you break down 5776, that equals to 114. <laughs> and if you give $114.32, hey, hold up, dude. I don't understand the regular words on the page. And now you're trying to get me to understand some mystery that come from a Hebrew calendar that ain't none of us ever seen. Because that's going to be the key through my financial breakthrough. When I got a whole bunch of keys in here, I ain't following. So I'm allowed to be covetous. I can dream and I can pray. I can walk around a Mercedes lot and lay hands on car because this is the breakthrough of my manifestation. This is the destiny that God has for me. Because I closed my eyes. And I heard the Lord spoke to me. And he said, peace. Peace I give you. Peace I give you. See, and then as I opened it, once I closed my eyes, I saw peace. Because peace is the peace sign. Then I began to see peace morph from the hands into the fingers. And you had the lines coming in and it went down. And the Lord was speaking to me that he's going to bless me. Peace I give to you means a Mercedes you're going to get. And we look for these deep revelations. <laughs> we did the regular stuff on the book. And you know how we get there? Because true worship happens close to us by the tradition of men. And I can pray more for a car and a house and a better job and more clothes than I can for salvation, purity, a clean mind and a peaceful heart than I can for the wholeness of my family. That my son won't talk to my daughter, but I'm wasting my time trying to get me a mansion. And I'm sowing and believing God for my breakthrough and my manifestation and my fruition. When I ain't believing God for the manifestation and the breakthrough and the fruition of righteousness inside of me. And we can be at peace with that. How we get there? Tradition. And may it not be said that we are doing religious activities apart from a righteous heart. None of us should be covetous. But if we listen to the traditions that we are taught, we we made to be covetous. Because we never have enough. Because we king kids, that means we're supposed to be rich. 
And we ignore the verses that say he that desires to be rich desires a snare. Hold up. That ain't what they taught me on the TV in the end. They told me if I ain't rich, I ain't got peace. Because peace means wholeness. <laughs> what they told you is that you ain't worshiping God for real. If you follow these traditions, we closing the book to you. Now watch what Jesus do now. And we're we, we going to run this thing on to the house. Jesus in verse 14, watch what he do. Now let's put ourselves back at the scene. Jesus and just healed all these people. Now the Pharisees came to him with this foolishness and he called them out on their foolishness. Quick, fast in a hurry. Jesus is having a conversation. Him, the Pharisees and the scribes. Now he turns and says, hey, everybody listen up. Now why did Jesus do that? He turned from the scribes and the Pharisees and he called everybody back around. He get all the people, hey, 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 y'all coming, hold up. And this is what he said to them. Say, hearken unto me, every one of you and understand. Verse 15. There is nothing from without a man that entering to him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus, he pulled all the people together and he just throw out this dark saying. They weren't in here conversation. And he just turned from the conversation. Now, he, he, he basically just cussed them folk out. Y'all hypocrites. You think you won't follow Moses? You ain't follow Moses. You don't know God for real. Now everybody listen here. That's the scene I get. And he get his dark saying. It ain't the stuff that comes from another man that defiles a man, but the things that come from within him. And now when he, in making this statement, he strikes at the heart of religious identity. Because I told you that defile means to be cut off from the community and cut off from the worship. You can't participate in any of them if you are marked as being unclean, defiled. And he say, it ain't this outside stuff that comes inside a man that defiles him. It's what comes from out of him. Now, when you think about what comes inside a man, you think about what? What you eat. And they were just talking to him about his disciples doing what? Eating without washing hands. And so he strikes that food and he picks up on this thing. But if you read Leviticus 11.44, starting right 42, that comes with this whole identity. Those are the food laws in Leviticus 11. And at the end of all these food laws, God makes this statement. You shall not defile yourself with any creeping thing, with any cattle, or with any beast of the field. Because you're supposed to be holy because I am holy. And when Jesus makes this statement, he strikes back at that comment. Because there ain't no way he can blanketly say, can nothing that comes inside of you defile with you. When Moses told us, quoting Yahweh, that if you eat these wrong things, you're going to be defiled. And this is the identification of your holiness. Like, hold up, Jesus, how you going to do that? And he strikes at a reality that we was hitting at earlier when we were talking about our relationship to the law. It's because the law prophesies and it speaks. And there's a greater reality that we must have in order for anything that we do to be valid. And what Jesus was getting at is that you can eat all the proper things and still be unclean. Because deeper than what you put in your body is what comes out of you that cuts you off from worship. 
And this is the goal. Like I said, it, it, this strike backs at, at identity. So they have to wrestle with these statements. And he left it there. He didn't get no explanation. Like, if you got ears to hear, understand. So you, you can pick up what I'm putting down, put it in your pocket. See, that's the um, urban version. Now, what that would it let, if you got ears to hear, mean, if you can pick up what I'm putting down, put it in your pocket. <laughs> and his disciples are confused. Like I said, this is a life lesson. Most time when we come to the Bible and we read something, we say we don't understand it. What we really mean is I don't agree with it. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Most time when we come to something, it's, it's very rare that we get something that we truly, it just, we cannot comprehend. Most time when we read something in the Bible and we get to it and we say we don't understand it, we mean I don't agree with it. And so his disciples come at him after he makes his statement. He's like, hold on. Verse 16 said, when they entered into the house from the people, his disciple asked him concerning the parable. It's like, could you explain that to us? We don't understand. And look how Jesus responds. See, Jesus should have went to seminary. He said, are you so without understanding? Do you not perceive? Jesus strike back at these people. Like, how don't you understand? It ain't the outside. It what flows out of a man. But when they say we don't understand it, that means we don't agree with that, Jesus. And you let's let's put ourselves in their shoe. Moses told us, watch what you eat, because if you eat the wrong things, you're gonna be cut off. You saying it ain't what you put in your mouth, it's what comes out of your mouth. Like, hold up, what you mean? So you he hitting that religious identity. And what he's getting to is that there's a really reality. That goes beyond external observance of the law. That is your real reality. And he goes to give you the thing. He says it's what proceeds out of the heart of man that defiles him. So what makes you unclean, what cuts you off from the community, and what cuts you off from worship is lying, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication. That's the stuff that cuts you off. So like how the stuff you put in your mouth is going to be purged. And you're going to let it out. But the stuff that come out of you, it's going to defile you and destroy you. So he's striking that religious identity by pointing beyond the law. Because if you think and you meditate on it, and if you take the law and allow it to be the law, and you say, hey, I can be cut off from worship because it can be something wrong with what I'm putting into myself. What about all this stuff that's in me? That's the question that Jesus wants you to get from it. To go beyond the external formity and ask the question, if what I put in can defile me, what all about, what about all this stuff that's in me? Because the things inside of me is way more dirty than a pig. That's the question that he's striking at. And when I hit it, this is what we're going to take it home. And this is what it strikes at in me because just to tie it back into what we have been talking about. We've been talking about the law and our relationship with the law. And when we strike at religious identity, there's a couple of signs that God give them at religious for their religious identity. Genesis chapter 17. God speaks to Moses. Genesis 17. I mean, God speaks to Abraham and he told him, 
circumcision. That's what it first shows up on the scene. He's going to give them circumcision. And he said, the circumcision shall be a sign or a token of the covenant throughout all your generations. So I'm giving you circumcision and it's going to be a sign or a token of the covenant throughout all your generations. Now, if we pause this and if we take Jesus' understanding that it's not the outside, the external that makes us right with God or separates us from God, it's what's within. And if we apply it to this understanding of circumcision, we got to get this picture. Because circumcision is the removing of access from a private area. And if you think about it naturally, every male born comes the same way. And it is the circumcision that makes you look different. So the necessity for circumcision is an outflow of just being born. So by being born, you in a condition that puts you with the rest of the world and you got this private hidden thing that nobody can see. But it makes you like everybody who is in the same condition you in. That's just like you. And in order in my token of me being you being in relationship with me is I change the way you look on the inside and make you different from everybody else who were born just like you. That's the sign of circumcision. That's what takes place when you're being circumcised. So something is being removed that can't nobody else see. And it makes you look different than everybody around you because everybody was born with the same thing. And when we make it to the New Testament, Paul picks up this thing. He said, you have been circumcised with the circumcision in Colossians chapter 2 that don't come from hands, but the circumcision without hands. In the removing of your sin. That deep. We said this is the circumcision that you receive. And circumcision is what? It was a sign. It was a token of the covenant relationship between Abraham and God. And the promises of God being yes and amen. So as a token to you. This is something that marks you off as being in the line with this covenant. I give you this sign. And what Paul picks up this sign and say hey. Y'all got the same thing. But the thing that makes you like everybody is you what? The evil heart that dwells inside of you. And he said you received a circumcision which is the removing of sin. Now you are part of the people of God. So you got this token. You got this religion, this religious identity. And it has nothing to do with the external. It has everything to do with what? The heart. And externally you might not can tell that we different. But if I look at your heart, you should be separated from everybody else. This is the sign. This is the token. This is the mark of identity that he gave them. And if we pick up his theme and add it to this, he can say to them, y'all around here cutting off flesh. And it ain't the flesh that's on you that make you defile. It's the flesh that's in you that makes you defile. That's the statement Jesus is making. Because the external circumstances don't set me right with God, but the inflow, the outflow from my heart, that's what makes me right with God. Everybody tracking with me. 
And that's how we elevate religious identity when we look back into the law. In Exodus chapter 31, God begins to give this standard or this expose on Sabbath. This is religious identity. Say, I gave you my Sabbaths. This separates you from all the rest of the world around you. These Sabbath days. Now, if you think about it, let's put ourselves in their shoes a little bit. When the God first gave them the Sabbath, that was after Passover, after they came out, and they in the wilderness, and he just gave them the manna, and he gave them the rules. Like, every day you go in there, and you get the manna. You don't let any of it remain, and on the seventh day, you don't go get any, because that's the Sabbath day. Now, just think about this. Put, it, put your mind there. The only way you eat if you're in that wilderness with them, is do, if you do what? You got to get up every morning and go get it. That's the only way you eat. If you want to be lazy and you get extra, what happens? It rots. So it, you wake up, you got gnats and flies all around your little tent. And you can't deal with that. This trains you. This discipline. And it gives you Two concepts. The only way to eat is if I get up and go get it. And if I let this stuff stay, I ain't going to be able to eat because it rots. Then he all of a sudden, he just tell you, all right, tomorrow, don't get up and go get now, but you still going to eat. That strikes at the training and the discipline that he gave you. So if you want to eat, you have to do what? You have to trust him. You never did this before. All the meals you got is because you got up and ate. Now he's telling you don't get up and go get anything. So what he's putting you in a position that you have to trust him. Then he tell you get extra today. Now according to your training what's supposed to happen? It's supposed to rot. So now he's telling you to trust me that what you used to happen it ain't going to happen no more. That's hard to believe. If you're used to a pattern over and over again and you get to this one point and not all of a sudden for no other reason than because you said it, it ain't supposed to happen no more. That, 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 that takes a little faith. And that's what he explained to them. I gave you these Sabbaths that you can learn to trust me. And if he even gave them a Sabbath, yeah, just think about that. You used to growing stuff. And he tell you, don't grow nothing, don't, do, don't go to work for a whole year. Stay at home, you worship me, and you be with your family. How many of y'all got enough faith to just do that? Like, hey. Hey, ball man. I ain't gonna come in this year. <laughs> I'm gonna worship God and be with my family. Like, we ain't gonna pay you. That's fine. What you gave me last year is enough <laughs> for this year. That takes faith. And if you think about it in an agricultural sense, it takes even more faith. Because after the year over with, food don't automatically grow. You have to do what? You got to go out there and plant it. Then you got to wait for it to grow. So now I don't do, I got to believe that he gave me enough for a year. He gave me enough for a year and some extra until my new stuff grow. That, that, that's, that's faith. And one of the things we see when we look through the history of the Israelite people, they didn't have a level of faith. 
They can trust God to that degree. We don't read one time in all these canons of Israelite history that they kept the Sabbath year. Now we see forms of jubilee. But we don't see one time in history, well I ain't ran across it, where it's recorded that no Israelite did any work for an entire year. We don't see that. And to be so bold to say, hey, you know that dude that owe you money? He don't owe you no more. You better not ever ask him for it again. <laughs> that make, that takes faith. Now, what we do see when we look at the Israelites, they practice Sabbath externally. And Jesus digs at these people for this. Y'all do this stuff. Even God and Isaiah, he called them out. He said, y'all call fast and y'all call solemn days. But the whole time you transacting your business. But you talking about you fast. He digging at the heart. It's like on the external. You doing the stuff that you supposed to do outside. You ain't eating food. Saying you ain't going out party. You sitting down, you being solemn. It's like, but your whole, the whole time your mind is working and you, and you plotting and you planning and you still doing your regular business on my holy day. Because you, they did not have a heart of trust. But if we take Jesus's principle and apply it to the Sabbath, we get some deep. And what he's saying is, is it ain't the external. It ain't your ability to look like you depend on God. But it's, that truly rest in him. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that there is a Sabbath for the peace of people of God that we strive to enter into his rest. What you mean by that writer of the Hebrew? And he said that's when we cease from our own works. It's like this is the rest of the people of God. So those who believe in him, they stop doing their own works. But this is hard for us to do because we train. We've been trained, and one of the hardest things to get over is that storing that manner up. Because we have been conditioned. Well, we all been now. And so y'all don't have to raise your hand, because everybody raised their hand already. I'm raising it for you. How often have you tried to stop something that God convicted in you in your heart that you shouldn't be doing? It's just, just all throughout your whole life. And you be like, Lord, I ain't gonna do that no more. <laughs> Jesus, I'm telling you, God, I did that. I give you my life. I give my life. I give myself away. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, you deep. You feel it. Like, I give myself away. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then wins. <laughs> your mind get to working. And what you cannot do is comprehend yourself being something other than what you have already been. That's hard. But that's what Jesus is calling you to do, to trust him that the thing that used to do what it used to do ain't going to do that no more. So when he say separate yourself, be you holy, abstain, that the same thing that propelled you to live the way you did, that stuff ain't going to do that no more. That's what he's asking you to trust him to do. That that same anger that used to explode when you go off on people and you be about to knock their head out before you even realize that you said a word. 
He asking you not the same. I'm saying that's just me and my personality. I'm working on that. Saying it run deep in my family because I'm saying I I know I got anger issues and I'm saying I've been I've been I've been I've been praying about that. What he calling you to say is God, I trust you that that thing ain't gonna do that no more. I don't care what my family history is. I don't care what what my identity is. I don't care how many years I had anger problems. I ain't gonna my anger ain't gonna do that no more. I trust you that it ain't going to do that no more. That's faith. That's resting. That's abiding. It ain't got nothing to do with showing up here. I'm saying we worship the Lord. This is how we, we enjoy our Sabbath. I ain't going to work today. Them folks been not calling me. I did my day to worship the Lord. It ain't what you do on the outside. Every day is your day to worship the Lord. And every day is your day to trust in the Lord. And worshiping the Lord and honoring the Sabbath ain't got nothing to do with lifting your hands and saying the right song. Got everything to do with trust, dependent, reliance. Trust that he going to be what he said he going to be. And the stuff that supposed to do, it ain't going to do what you used to or doing. So I ain't going to be going off no more because I'm in the Sabbath. I got enough peace to last me until Jesus come back. I got enough patience to last me till Jesus come back. I got enough righteousness and discipline, compassion, and all those things to last me until Jesus come back. Because what I used to do, that stuff ain't going to do that no more. Are y'all tracking with what I'm saying? Now, Jesus add to this last little bit. I'm going to give you this. And we're going to roll bounce like little Bawa. John 17. John 17. Let's look at that. Now Jesus adds some religious identity to his people. John 17, start at verse 17. This is Jesus praying. He says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And thou hast sent me into the world. Even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus praying, getting down. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which have believed on me through their word. Now we're going to pause right here. How many of us have believed on Jesus through the words of the apostle? That's anybody who believes. That's where we get it from. So if we identify ourselves as those who believe because of the word that Jesus gave to them, that means Jesus is praying for who? Praying for us. So now you're reading Jesus' personal intercession for you. This is deep. Like, how many of y'all get comforted when you find out people praying for you? Yeah, like, it, 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 make, it make you feel a little better. Especially when you're going through a rough time and just friend call you. You don't even know that they're praying. If they call you, say, girl, I've been praying for you. It make you feel a little good. You be like, thank you. I sure need it. Because it mean a little something to you. So if it can mean something to you to find out that Miss Maddie was praying about you, just think about the fact that Messiah is praying for you. He's praying for you. Now watch his prayer. That they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Hold up, Jesus. Jesus is praying. The Messiah is interceding. And he's praying that we all may be what? One. Just like him and the Father are one. I'm going to ask a crazy question. Do y'all think God hear Jesus' prayer? 
Like, really? You think you think God listen to Jesus pray? You like you think that'd be like high on his priority list of stuff to make happen? Like if Jesus pray for something, like, hold on, man. Y'all, y'all believe that? Because the Bible tells us the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We think Jesus was righteous. I would believe so. And in the other gospel, it tells us that he prayed and he drops great drops of blood and sweat. Do y'all think he was fervent when he was praying? This brother prayed blood. Praying for who? You. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus dropped blood praying for you. Ain't often we sweat praying for each other. This dude dropped blood praying for you. So you think he did was serious? I, I believe that this, this rated high on his agenda. Like, God, I know I'm finna go die, but hold on. Let me, I, I really need to talk to you about something. Yeah, let, let, me, let me talk to you about something. What, 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 what you want to talk about, Jesus? Them folk that gonna believe. I wanna talk to you about them. And what about them? They ain't even here yet. I know. But one day they're going to be here. And if you don't do nothing else for me, God, could you make them one? Could you imagine that prayer? And God saying, well, you need to understand, Jesus. You don't understand the, the theology of people. Because uh, people ain't going to ever really be together. So this is something I, I really can't do. So what you're praying for, I don't know if I can do that. You think that's the way the conversation went? I don't believe so either. I believe God heard Jesus and Jesus meant what he said. And Jesus, he amps it up. Not only did he pray that we be one, he said, this is how the world is going to know that I am who I say I am. That you sent me. So he wrapped his messianic identity up in the answer to this prayer. The world ain't going to know that I am who I am unless you do this for me, God. What's that? Make these people one. This is our identity. So when we came, you want to be a witness for Jesus. You want to let the world know that Christ is king, that in the time of this unprecedented time in our society, we want to witness what is the number one witness that we can give? Our unity. And it ain't just our ability to come together and figure out ways to meet. Because it ain't the outside that defiles. It what flows out. But it's a true genuineness of heart to what we care and we're really concerned about one another. Unless we got this, unless we moving in step with one heart, with one mind towards one goal, that's to love and honor God, we ain't the people of God. Because to shout and to dance and to quote a couple of scriptures, that's external. But to have a heart of genuineness to where we connect with each other, to where we love one another, to where we're one. This is what demonstrates that Christ is who he said he is. So it should not be said in these unprecedented times. That anybody who's connected with this body is alone. Because we don't suffer alone. We got a family. And it should not be said of anybody connected to this house. 
that they went without, that they was in lack, that they were in want. Not because all of us going to be rich, but because we all are rich. And God is fulfilling the plan of God and the people of God, and that's to make us one. So in these unprecedented times, let's do an unprecedented thing and let's be the people of God. And not just call and check on each other out of, just out of obligation, but out of a genuine concern with each other. That we know and we love one another. John 13, I think it's like third, verse 34, Jesus said, this is how the world going to know that you my disciples. How that, Jesus? That you love one another. That's the only way. That's the mark of our identity as the people of God. If we ain't loving, we ain't being Christian. If we ain't loving, we ain't worshiping for real. And in these unprecedented times, we need to demonstrate an unprecedented love. And that's a love that reach out and bear the burdens of one another. Let not one of your brothers or sisters be without. And we should have that connection where we all come together and not just one of us bear that burden but all of us carry the weight and we carry each other through because we won that we ain't depending on no stimulus package that we ain't worried about well, not, I'm saying, are they really going to give us $1,200 I, I, I'm saying what, 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 what time bills I'm going to pay with $1,200? I don't know. What kind of bills you got? If you got big bills, you're going to pay one. <laughs> if you got little bills, you might pay two. Maybe even four if they little enough. But that ain't our concern. Because Jesus ain't saying that, hey, I gave you the government. To make sure that nobody goes without. And that all the needs of the people will be fulfilled. That ain't nowhere in the Bible. He ain't say. I'm saying I know we religious and we in the, and we're in the South. But they're Montgomery. So we, we exempt for that. But the people when we watch on the TV to be in the end. And we listen to our faith radio. And they tell us about our great president. Our leader. Our man of God. And the demonstration of righteousness being brought back to the White House. Because he's standing. We don't depend on that joker. He ain't banging with us. No matter what way he turned, we going to be all right because we got what? We got God and what God will. In us. And if God dwells in all of us, I don't think that God like to be split up. He like to be together. So let's keep them together by keeping each other together. Nobody should go crazy in these times. Nobody should suffer in these times. Unless nobody in us got anything to do anything about that suffering. But we get this Jesus package, y'all. We got it. And more than we got it, this is what God prayed for. That we be one. The whole world is trying to figure out where to stand. People don't know what to do. Because don't nobody want to be the bully. Don't nobody want to say, hey, 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 Carl. Like, for real, I ain't paying you. Everybody trying to figure out. 
how they how they I'm saying how to be nice. Alabama power calling people. Like it's it cool if you don't pay up if, if 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 you can't because these are unprecedented times. But if these unprecedented times go on for an unprecedented amount of time, you know what Alabama power gonna be saying? Hey, Carl, run that check. <laughs> And you know what we should be saying? Hey, Carl, run over here. I got you. Because we are family, y'all. There is no individual Christians. God saved us into a community. That's why I told you this over and over again. When, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, how does it go? Give who their daily bread? Us. Who father is it? Our. Who trespasses need to be forgiven? Ain't no me's and I's in there. It's all us. Our. Because he brought us into a family. And the greatest mark that we bear that we are the people of God is our love one for another. And it can't be like Jesus was talking to them folks just on the outside. I can't be saying I love you, girl. You know I love you and I, I, I care for you. I'll do anything for you. Like, hold on, man. I, um, I love my job and I ain't got no place to stay. Um. You know they got the hotline. Well, um, for people who need groceries, you go down now. Now, if you call Jay, he tell you that. Tell me. <laughs> and we gonna go militia style, and we gonna tell you, hey Joe, run that cabinet. <laughs> we don't care if we need it or not. We taking them old beef stew that been sitting there since he graduated college. Give me that can, bro. Whole Y two K staff, <laughs> because as the people of God, we should be there for the people of God, and this is the mark that we are the people of God. Are y'all with me? So don't let our identifying mark be on us coming together, us meeting together on video chats and praying for each other, but let it be the true reality of the heart, us truly loving and caring for one another and bearing one another's burdens. Anybody got any questions?